Good morning and welcome to our series PB&J. We talk about creating connections that are that good. I want to welcome those of you who are our live streamers this morning, also those of you who are in the room. Um, and I, I want to begin today um, just with a, with a moment of complete transparency and honesty because say what you will about me, one thing that I hope I never am is I hope I'm never a hypocrite. And so uh, I just want to, I want to have a moment of transparency here. Um, I am not in the best place for this weekend's message. Uh, now, I believe in this series. I, I believe in it firmly. I, I'm the one who helped create the content for it. Um, the first two weeks of the series, as I, as I watched online from Southeast Asia, I, I man, Steve Howard, he was just killing it. And I, you know, as he was talking about these, these last couple of weeks about how we're created for connection, I was just like, yeah, that's right. And, and uh, as he talked about differences and how we can see differences differently, I was reminded of just how important in my own life it is to have friends and have relationships with people who are different, who challenge me, and how that's a, that's a good thing, that's a healthy thing, how I need different kinds of relationships in my life. So it's not that I don't agree with this. I, I fully believe in this. This is, this is you know, my heartbeat. I'm just struggling to live it right now. Uh, the last three weeks to last month or so have been, uh, have been tough. Uh, Cambodia was really good. It was a good trip. It was a very meaningful trip. It was impactful, but it wasn't easy. And uh, the time leading up to Cambodia, that wasn't easy either. I was crazy busy at work trying to get things ready to go and trying to get things ready for the trip and to get things ready when I came back. And, and things at home were busy and anxieties were high within me, within my family. Uh, and I don't know about you, but when, when you're super busy and anxieties are, are high, that's usually not a good environment for relationships to thrive, at least not in my world. And then coming back, uh, I've been back a little, about three days now, um, and uh, coming back, dealing with jet lag and jumping right back into work and having to get ready for a weekend um, and just, you know, just more, more stuff going on in life. Um, Jocelyn and I, we aren't, we aren't clicking. Or maybe we are clicking. We're just clicking in all the wrong ways right now. Um, and, and so this, just in all honesty, this message comes at a very, very awkward time for me. It's, it's one of these weekends where I'm like, I can't believe I have to talk about this right now. Couldn't I postpone this a couple of weeks when I'm in a better place? Um, but that's the truth of, of where things are. And, and, and here's what I'll say, that, that relationships, as much as I believe in them, relationships are exhausting. In relationships... I think if you're doing them right, you are so vulnerable and so exposed that you are wide open to being offended, being hurt, being wounded. Uh, that, that potential is so high if, if you're doing them right. See, see, here's the truth. I believe that there's nothing in all of the world that has greater potential for pain in your life than relationships. Again, if you're doing them right, I believe that's true. Which is why so often when it comes to our relationships, we end up fighting, right? Because you're so open, you're so vulnerable, you're, you're so just in a tender place where you can be hurt, you can be offended, you can be wounded, that so often we end up fighting a lot in our relationships, whether that's your marriage, whether that's with coworkers. I mean, those of us who, you know, remember growing up in a house or if you're, if you're a kid and you've got siblings, you know, like with your siblings, right? Parents say this all the time. I hear parents who've got kids at home, you know, like, why do they fight so much? Well, let's think about this for a second. 
Why would they fight so much? They're living in very close proximity, competing for the same resources, vying for the attention and the affection of the same people on top of each other 24-7 with no end in sight. Why would they fight so much? I mean, world wars have been fought over less, I think, right? And that often becomes, you know, the state of our relationships. We find ourselves fighting. So I think it's absolutely true that there's nothing in all of the world that carries more potential, a a greater risk of pain in our lives than relationships. And that I also believe it's true that there's nothing in all of the world that, that carries more potential of reward, of, of something truly rich and satisfying than relationships. And so today, uh, the hope is that we can not just fight, because I think we all know how to do that in our relationships. That's just natural. That just happens all the time. The hope is that today we can learn how to fight for our relationships, that we can learn how to fight for connection, even though there's a potential for pain, even though we're exposed and vulnerable, even though the risk of offense and hurt and misunderstanding is so high in relationships. I hope today we will learn how to fight for connection. See, today we're going to look at some words from Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is, is uh, doing a lot of teaching. He starts off with a section called the Beatitudes. Some of you know what those, those are. Um, it's a section of, uh, of teaching. And, and then he goes into another kind of teaching where he starts teaching about some of the biggest sins out there, or at least the things that we see as the biggest sins. He starts talking about the sins that you and I think about when we want to console ourselves, when we're feeling like we're not great people, and then we think, oh, well, well at least I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not so bad that I do that stuff. He's talking about those things. So he talks about things like murder, and then he talks about adultery, and then he talks about divorce. Now, here's what I want to say today. If you're someone who has committed murder or adultery or divorce, I don't want you to feel like you're being singled out today, because the reason Jesus starts with those topics those big topics, is because he, he starts there, but then he goes on and he starts talking about the other things, the other things, the, uh, the other sins in our lives that we don't maybe think as much of or we don't think they're as much of a big deal. And he begins to talk about how those things are, are just as damaging to our wholeness, to our relationships, and to our life. So he starts with the big stuff, but then he moves to um, the other stuff, and we're going to look at especially the other stuff. So look with me at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Right? You've heard the commandment, You shall not kill, you shall not murder. Jesus is saying, Hey, you've heard that said, right? And there's judgment. There is, there is a consequence if you do this. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So so here Jesus says something crazy. He says, you know murder's wrong, but I'm here to tell you that if you're angry with your brother or sister, you are also subject to judgment. So murder, we get anger? That's that's a thing? That's That's a bad thing, really? He goes on. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, now, some of you have said way worse to your brother or sister. Um, raka, raka is a Hebrew word, and um, it, one translator puts it as numbskull. 
um, numbskull, or um, I think rock, I always think rockhead, you know, just like an empty minded person, a, a worthless person. Apparently, it was an insult back in Jesus' day. He says, again, anyone who says to your brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. So you could get in trouble for slander if you, if you used a word like that with someone. But, but again, uh, he says, but I say to you, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, these words here, the fire of hell, um, actually the word hell is, is not um, a word that, like Hades, uh, a word that's translated hell. It's another word. The, the word is Gehenna. Gehenna. Uh, and in Hebrew, the word Gehenna was actually referring to a literal, um, specific place in uh, right around the outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Gehenna, or uh, Gehenna is kind of the Hebrew way of saying the valley of Hinnom, Gai Hinnom, Gehenna, Ben Hinnom. It was this physical place outside of Jerusalem. And a few hundred years before Jesus, it was a literal valley where some of the kings and the people of Judah fell into this really awful practice of sacrificing their children to the god Molech, and they did it by fire. So they sacrificed their children by fire to this false God. These are the people of God who, who did this in the valley of in the valley of Hinnom, Gai, uh, Hinnom Gehenna was was the place. And so when it talks about the fires of Gehenna, that's what people are remembering. Now there are some scholars who say that after that, the same valley in Jesus's day became a trash dump for Jerusalem, and so there were fires there burning away uh, the trash. And, and there's some argument about whether that's true or not. But as Jesus used these words, people knew where Gehenna was. They knew what happened there. They knew it was a bad, bad place. And not only that, about about maybe a hundred years before Jesus' time, Gehenna came to be known as a, a metaphorical place, a place of judgment that wicked people would one day go. So we're not exactly sure how Jesus is using the phrase, if he's speaking actually of the fires of hell, and, and let's hope, right? I mean, we, we know we're not going to get sent to hell for getting angry or saying you fool to our brother or sister. Jesus has atoned for that. But Jesus is saying something important. He's saying that, that the way we treat our brother or sister, it has a consequence. It can land us in Gehenna, a place of fire, of stench, of isolation, of judgment, and of hopelessness. Now, relationships, relationships can become Gehenna, can't they? I mean, we, we've all been there. Relationships can be powerful, they can be sweet, they can be amazing, but they can become a place of isolation, of fire, of stench, of, of loneliness, of hopelessness, right? Especially when, especially when we let anger get a hold of us, Especially when we bow to bitterness and we let bitterness have a foothold, when our hearts get hard, when we get embroiled in conflict, relationships can become Gehenna. And, and I think that's part of what Jesus is saying here today. Now, there's some of us who know this. We, we've experienced this. And none of us want to find ourselves in Gehenna. And, and so, so we take an alternate route when it comes to relationships. When stuff starts to get chaotic or messy or, or you know, painful or difficult, instead of, instead of you know, landing in Gehenna, instead of letting ourselves be there, we do something else. We cut our losses and we move on. When things get difficult, when they get ugly, when it gets painful... We say, who's got time for that? I, I, I don't want to find myself in Gehenna. And so instead, we say, forget it. And, 
and we move on and then we move on again and we do this over and over and over again. When people disappoint us, when they fail us, when they betray us, when they annoy us, we say, but you don't understand. He cheated on me. She, she lied to me. I, I, I don't, I don't want to go here. So instead, I, I, had to, I had to cut myself off from that. I just had to move on. There are a lot of us who do that, right? I remember a, a bunch of years ago, I was listening to the radio. This is way back in the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal days. And I was listening to the radio and a reporter was um, just talking to people in the United States about how they felt about this whole, whole thing and asking different questions. And I remember they interviewed this 80-year-old woman in Boston. And they asked her about the whole Clinton scandal. And, uh, and then they asked her specifically, they said, you know, what do you think about the fact that, that uh, Hillary Clinton has chosen to stay with Bill Clinton through this? You know, what do you think about that? Do you think, do you think it's right? And I remember what the woman said, I'll never forget it. She said, they clearly have their problems, but you just don't throw a good man away. Now, I know some of you may, may question whether or not Bill Clinton's a good man or not. It's, you're missing the point. I just, I just remember this perspective of this 80-year-old woman who's lived a lot of life, who said, you know what? You just don't throw people away. And yet, how often do we throw people away? When it gets ugly, when it gets difficult, we think Gehenna is the only alternative. Either, either we go there, we go to this ugly, painful place, or we move on and we try to find something better and we throw people away. But, but here's the trick with that. Here's, here's the deception. Here's the thing we don't understand. That although so often we move on from relationships so we don't end up in Gehenna, doing this over and over again, that is a Gehenna of its own. You end up living in isolation. You end up living condemned to shallow, meaningless, unfulfilling relationships where you never get the sweetness, the richness that comes from true connection. See, in this teaching today, Jesus is warning us, not, not about murdering someone. I mean, that's an extreme action when, when bitterness really takes hold. But before that, before murder ever is conceived in the mind, there's some other dangerous things that happen to us and, and Jesus is cautioning us not to go there, not to let ourselves go there. To instead fight for meaningful connection instead of just fighting. And so he's gonna show us right after this in the very next verses, he's gonna give us two examples of what we might do instead. Two ways that we can save ourselves from ending up in Gehenna, either kind, the Gehenna of bitterness and conflict, the, the Gehenna of isolation, of moving from relationship to relationship and never experiencing anything fulfilling, he's going to show us what we can do instead. Two real life examples. He says, therefore, instead of that, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And he says, second, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So, so two real life examples from Jesus. One is about church. So Jesus is living in, in the first century and uh, when you go to church, you go to the temple in Jerusalem, this, this great, beautiful, 
structure where you go to make offerings, you go to make sacrifices. And he says, hey, let's just suppose that one of you is at the temple and you're making your offerings. You're offering a sacrifice there. And you're doing this to, to what? To, to fuel your relationship with God, to, to be reconciled to God. Maybe you've committed a sin and this is a sin offering, or maybe this is a thank offering, but you're doing this to build your relationship with God. It's a good thing, right? But Jesus says, let's suppose that you're there at the temple and you're ready to offer your gift in order to, uh, to, you know, to build into your relationship with God. But you remember that there is a brother or sister who has something against you. Jesus says, in that moment, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave the gift there. I want you to go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then after you've taken care of that, come back and make your offering. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying this relationship stuff, it's serious, it's important. You know, God will be waiting there for you when you go and work out that other stuff. He's not moving anywhere. He's not getting impatient with you. But in your human relationships, this is so important. Jesus says, don't do anything else. Don't pass go, right? Don't collect $200. When you've got conflict in your life, go and deal with it. Settle matters right away. And this is true when someone has been offended by you, or when, you have, uh, when, when someone has offended you, Matthew 18, he talks about it the other way. It doesn't matter whether you are the one who has caused offense or whether you're the one who's been given offense. Jesus says, if there's offense, if there's a broken relationship in your life, go and deal with it. In fact, we pray this. We're going to pray this today in the Lord's Prayer. There's that petition that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, Right? And that's not saying that God's forgiveness is conditional on our ability to forgive, but but what what Jesus is saying when he teaches that prayer in the very next chapter, what he's saying is, is he's saying these things go hand in hand. And being forgiven by God, that's a great thing, but, but it's also really important that we find and offer forgiveness in our human relationships. Both of those things are important and they kind of work together. We'll come back to this. And then the second example is uh, of two people on their way to court. So this isn't a brother or sister. This is an adversary who's taking you to court. And Jesus says, hey, on your way to court, before you get before the judge, it is in your interest that you work it out. Swallow your pride. Humble yourself. Do whatever it takes to make peace. Otherwise, if you get before the judge, the judge may not be so merciful and he'll hand you over for punishment. And then, and then, There's no hope of mercy or forgiveness. You'll be there until you have paid the last penny, until every wrong has been righted. Jesus says it's wiser, again, it's wiser to make it an urgent priority to handle your relationships before you end up in Gehenna. Now, now here's the thing. This is not just talk for Jesus. You know that, right? This isn't just a sermon, Jesus, as he speaks these words, is in the middle of living these words out. I mean, the only reason he's on earth in the first place is that apparently, you know, God looked down from heaven and he saw this world, people like us, humanity, who who was so riled up and filled with anger and hate and misunderstanding and bitterness toward our God. And God didn't do anything wrong. The Father didn't do anything wrong. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. But we were all riled up, offended, angry, bitter, filled with with spite. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus 
Jesus didn't say, man, you guys got problems. You need to work this out. Or What did he do? He, he, he left everything. He left the company of the Father. He left the joy of the Father. He left everything. And he came down to deal with this. To deal with this broken relationship. Stop everything. Governing over the universe. Governing over all that is. He stopped it and he came down to earth and he walked this earth to deal with this relationship. To bring forgiveness and reconciliation and healing so that we might be made whole in our relationship with God. And you know, today, he's still fighting for us. There's not a moment of your life that that Jesus isn't fighting for you, fighting for a relationship. And I know this is a story of my life. I, I, I forget about him. I walk away from him. I get angry sometimes. I get distracted. I get rebellious. And yet he's fighting for me every day. And so these words from Jesus, they're not just words. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's in the process of doing. He went to a cross to bring us reconciliation with God. And do you know his very first words to his disciples, these disciples who abandoned him and uh, you know, betrayed him and denied him, when he came back from the dead, his first words when he reappeared to them, do you know what his first words were? His first words were peace, shalom, wholeness, reconciliation is now yours. Our our relationship, it's okay, Jesus was saying. See, see, these aren't just words for Jesus. This is what he lived. This is what he was living out. This is what he's still living out. And I know that there are moments when relationships, they seem hopeless. And I know there are moments when you're tired, and, and maybe you haven't dealt with this well in the past, but I'm just talking to you about today. I'm talking about the relationships you have in your life today. Forget about the past. Let's just talk about today. There are moments when you feel hopeless and you feel tired and you don't feel like you can keep fighting. You don't want to keep fighting. But I want to remind you that although relationships carry, I think, the highest risk of pain in our lives, they also carry the greatest potential for reward, for richness, for, for something that really matters, for something that's really meaningful. And I just want you to know that the breakthrough in your relationship, a relationship that today that it feels like Gehenna, the breakthrough may be just around the corner. See, I wonder how many of us are at risk of giving up on our relationships, either bowing to bitterness and conflict and just letting that become a way of life or or just cutting our losses and moving on. I wonder how many of us are at risk of giving up on our relationships a moment too soon, right before a relationship that's really painful becomes something that is really, really rich. I'm right at the end of our Cambodia trip we were down, um, Stronghold is down in the southwest of the country, right on the coast, right on the Gulf of Thailand in a town called Sihanoukville. And um, we, had, we had been about nine days into our trip, and that's nine days of, of, uh, of crazy travel, nine days of weird food, uh, good food, but, but weird food, you know, uh, nine days of dealing with dealing with, uh, with weird sleep patterns and, and stomach issues and long work days and a different culture. And again, it was all good, but it's not easy. And so after nine days, we were kind of worn out. And so our host wisely decided that we should have um, a wreck day. 
before we made the trek back to the capital, Phnom Penh, and then made a long 30 plus hours of travel back to the United States. And so, um, so we're, we're there in Sinuville and, and, uh, we're going to go out on our final day in town. Our host decided on a private boat. And we're going to see some of the islands right off the coast of Cambodia that are part of Cambodian territory. And uh, we're, we're going to see some of the beauty of the islands and just have some time to recharge before we make the long trek back home. And so uh, we get up early in the morning and we go down to the docks and we get on this boat and you know, our whole group's together and we go out into the Gulf of Thailand and it's absolutely beautiful there. And you know, we're thinking, this is going to be a great day. And about 30 minutes into the boat ride, suddenly the wind kicks up in the water. The seas get really, really rough. At first, some of us were like humming and singing the Gilligan's Island theme song. Um, it was kind of funny. And then it started to get real as the boat was slamming over the waves and rocking, rolling on the waves. And we started putting on life jackets and we were looking around. And, and there were people in our group who were getting sick, literally getting sick um, on the boat. And, and, uh, and we're just going, oh my gosh, this is terrible. How long till we, we get to this island? And, and finally, we arrive at the first island and we're there at the pier. We're trying to get off the boat and the boat is shifting and, and it's, it's dangerous. People are trying not to get slammed between the boat and the pier and people are falling over. And we're, you know, we're lugging people uh, Onto the, onto the island. And, and so we get off onto this, this pier of this first island and we were only scheduled to be there for about an hour. We were supposed to go somewhere else after that. We had packed a picnic. We were going to spend more time at this other island. But all of us in the group are looking at each other going, this is crazy. This is not fun. This is not relaxing. This is not a rewarding you know, experience after nine days of hard travel. This is more of the same. And uh, in our groups, we're kind of talking about, you know, we should just, we should just go back. Like, let's bite the bullet. We'll have a minute here to kind of get our bearings. Let's just go back to the mainland. We'll spend our day there. Forget this boat island stuff. This is no fun. And, and so we're kind of wrestling with that and grumbling. And, and, and our host says, you know what? You know, we'll explore it. Um, uh, and, and then she went and she talked to the captain of the boat and the captain of the boat said, you know, I, I think we should go to the other island. It's a little rough, but it's not far. And then we can just wait it out there. We can wait a few hours and by about three in the afternoon, the water should calm down some and uh, I think it'll be better. And, and so our host comes back and tells us that. No, I think, I think we should go on to the other island. And we're going, oh my gosh, seriously. And okay, but we're gonna be gracious guests, right? So we're guests, so we're, we say, okay. And so we get back on the boat and we start off for the other island and the seas get worse. Um, it's even rougher. And again, people are feeling sick and we're slamming over these waves and uh, it's, we're crammed into the, the boat because it's you know, too dangerous to be out in the, in the, in the front of the boat. And you know, finally we make it to this, to this other island. And again, we get off on this pier and it's really, uh, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really crazy. You know, we're, we're trying to get our stuff off and get our picnic lunch off. Uh, and, and we walk up on the pier and after we get our bearings, this is where we end up. <laughs> it ended up being just pure paradise. Uh, and so we spent the next several hours on this island in the Gulf of Thailand. Water's beautiful, warm. The picture doesn't even do it justice. And we had a meal together, and then we played in the water together, and we just had some downtime. I found a nice shady spot on the beach, and I took a short nap. Um, I had time just to pray and to get my mind right before I came back home, and even had time to hear from God. And, and it ended up being, it ended up being just as it was promised. It ended up being a great afternoon, a great afternoon of relaxation before we made our long trip trek back home. But I think all of us at some point this day realized what had almost happened. We had almost missed it. Because of the chaos, because of the turmoil, because of the nauseating effects of the seas, we almost bailed on this. 
See, I think that so many of us sitting here today, we're in this place and it feels like Gehenna and we don't like it at all. And there is turmoil and there is conflict and, and we may feel nauseated about, about the state of our relationships or maybe it's one relationship in particular. But I wonder, I wonder if maybe God doesn't have in mind for, for paradise a breakthrough to be right around the corner. And he's urging you today just, just to hold on just to trust him. Although relationships carry with them the risk of incredible pain, they also carry with them the the promise of incredible reward if you can persevere, if you can trust God and see them through. See, I wonder how many of us in this room are ready to give up right now before we get to that sweet place because we don't think we'll ever get there because we imagine it'll never be worth it. But here's what I know. Married people, you know, if you've been to a 50th anniversary, a wedding anniversary party, and there's that couple sitting there, and they've endured 50 years of rough seas and turmoil and nausea and conflict, and there have been plenty of days when it has been nothing short of Gehenna. But they're sitting there at their 50th anniversary, and their kids and grandkids and friends are gathered around. No matter what they've had to deal with, no matter what betrayals they've had to forgive, no matter all the ways they've had to die to themselves or defer their own dreams for the sake of the relationship, I promise you that in that moment for them, it's always worth it. Or I can say this too, that when you're really hurting in life and, and that friend who's been, been a lifelong friend to you and, and maybe that relationship hasn't been easy and they've been a pain in your backside and they've taken so much work and there are times where it's felt like that relationship is all one way where you are giving and they're just taking. But when you're in a really rough spot in life and, and that friend shows up at your door or maybe it's even the side of your hospital bed, I promise you, no matter what you've had to put into that relationship, no matter how rocky it has been in that moment, I promise you, there's nothing that can compare to having a relationship like that in your life. See, see, to get here, it's not easy. It takes resolve and courage and a willingness to fight for connection. Gehenna, getting to Gehenna, that's easy. That's just, just, just gravity takes you there. But to get here, you've got you've to fight for that place. But when you're willing to fight for it, not just fight, but fight for it, I promise you, God, God can take you to a place of beauty and health and fulfillment. He can do that for you. So, so here's what I want you to think about today. I want you to think about a relationship in your life that is not, that is not what it could be. That is not what you want it to be. And maybe that relationship is, is, is full-on Gehenna. Or maybe it's a relationship that's just strained. And it feels like a lot of work, but, but it's, it's strained. I want you to think of a relationship, and I bet all of us have one. And, and if you don't have one, I, I would seriously question whether you're doing this relationship thing right. Because again, the nature of relationships, the vulnerability, the, the, the way we expose ourselves, the way we open ourselves up to others, it naturally causes conflict in pain. And so I want you to think of that relationship. And now I want you to take out your phone, if you have one. I'm serious, right now. 
I can see you. Even those of you online, I see you. I want you to take out your phone. And uh, I want you to send a text message to that person if you know how to do that. If not, you can, you can do this. You can go out into the lobby right after I'm done, after I give these instructions. That's okay. I want you to send a text message to that person and just say, hey, we need to talk. Or, hey, I'm thinking about you. Or, hey, can I call you later? And I know here's the risk of that is that you get caught up for the rest of the service in a text conversation or you might have to go out into the lobby or out to your car and call someone in a relationship that's not healthy. And, and that may feel weird, but I promise you, Jesus is okay with that, right? Because what did he say? He said, if you're there offering your gift at the altar and you remember that there's someone in your life who has an issue with you, or you have an issue with them, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, then come back because God will be waiting here for you. He's not going anywhere. And he's not going to be sour with you or upset with you. His arms are wide open. He's ready for you whenever you're here. But that relationship, it needs your attention. It needs your focus now. If you don't want it to become Gehenna. And so right now, go ahead and send that text message or, or after I'm done in just a second, maybe you need to step out in the lobby or into your car and you need to make a phone call to someone. And here's a caution. One conversation may not do it. That person may not say they're sorry or they might not say, I forgive you right away. It may not happen. But my question to you is, are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to dig deep to fight for it? Or are you content just to live in Gehenna. See, I think a paradise is waiting for us in our relationships. I believe there's nothing richer, there's nothing more rewarding in our life than true life-giving relationships. But they don't come easy. They take a lot of courage. They take a lot of, a lot of stomach. They take a lot of fight, the right kind of fight. Are you willing to fight for them? I want you to stand right now as uh, we pray and then confess. And if you need to slip out right now, I give you permission to do that. Father in heaven, I thank you that you prioritize us. With all the other things you've got going, and I can only imagine your agenda as you govern over this entire universe as you call the sun into its place, as you hold the planets in orbit, as you, as you keep the stars in their place, Father, as you govern over this universe, I can only imagine what you have going. And yet I thank you that you prioritize us. That your first priority is, is our relationship with you. And that, Father, you come seeking after us. You come speaking words of life and forgiveness and reconciliation, words of peace over us today. Father, thank you. Father, in our own relationships, give us the mind and the heart of Christ. We thank you that we sit here today forgiven. Help us be forgivers. Father, we thank you that through Jesus you pursue us and you don't give up on us even though we try to run away and hide from you. Father, help us pursue others, especially those who, uh, whose relationships, they're broken, they're not right right now, Father. Give us the courage to do that. Father, give us a disdain for Gehenna, for that place of brokenness and isolation, 
of fire and stench, of conflict, of bitterness, of, of loneliness, of isolation, whatever it is. Father, give us a disdain for that place. Don't let us be content to live there any longer. And Father, set firmly in our mind the picture of paradise, of what our relationships can be with you working in them like only you can. Father, give us a vision that is so compelling and clear that we don't give up, we don't quit, but instead we fight for life-giving connection. We pray this in Jesus. Amen. There's some words from scripture that I want us to use today as a basis for our confession. Pray these words of confession with me. Lord, you have said in your word, hatred stirs up conflict and love covers over all wrongs, but we have failed you. You have said in your word, it is to our honor to overlook an offense, but we have failed you. You have asked us to rid ourselves of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, but we have failed you. Forgive us, gracious Lord. Take a minute and make those words personal as you confess before your father. God never fails. On the cross, he saw it through. He stared death in the face for you and me to take our sin away so that we would be reconciled to God. You are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even further, our God never fails in how he comes to us, how he pursues us and strengthens us so that we don't have to live in Gehenna, either either the, the actual one or the figurative one that we've talked about today. And in this meal today, Jesus comes to you and he gives you the benefits of his sacrifice. He gives you strength. He gives you reconciliation so that you can be reconciled to others. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood and it shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may be seated. The table of the Lord is set and ready. And as you come forward, Jesus is delighted to reconcile you again into the arms of the Father. Receive that. Receive what he's done for you. Know that, that, that every offense has been forgiven, every fault, every failure has been taken away and that, and that God accepts you with wide open arms and also be empowered by this meal, by this gift to be Christ-like, to do the same with those people in your life. Welcome to the Lord's table.